Welcome, everybody, into another episode of the Damn Recruiting Podcast. Your host, Marcus Greaves, Adam Nicholson. The sun is shining. I'm in a good mood. Adam, what's up, my man? Dude, I am so excited to be on today to talk a little <laughs> Avengers Endgame. Oh, you man. know, I mean, I've been waiting. I don't know. How, oh, wait. Uh, wrong show, right? <laughs> I was going to say Game of Thrones, man, so we're good. We can go either way. If we just need to tell everybody sorry, like, let's start talking some Game of Thrones or Avengers, and you guys can just hey, stop uh, listening now. I'm just playing. Don't do that, yeah, please. I, I, I don't, I don't want to ruin it for everybody, but everybody's going to die, you know? Oh, you know, that's, no, I'm just kidding. That, I'm just kidding. <laughs> see, you know, I I didn't know either and not to get off track so we can dive in. But, man, I am not a guy that's into the whole Dungeons and Dragons or like superhero stuff. But after watching, mm-hmm. you know, Infinity Wars for Avengers and then after watching Game of Thrones up till now, I'm I'm ready to go to a either or convention. I'll dress up as I don't know. I'll dress up as Spider-Man. I'll dress up as Jon Snow. For anyone who watches, it doesn't even matter to me. I will show up <laughs> dressed up like a nerd. I don't even care. But Adam, me neither, man. It's uh, let's let's get some news and notes. That we got a we got a a good show. Um, let me give you guys a rundown real quick. We'll get news and notes from Adam. Um, we got some baseball news. We have some football news. And I would say before we go into the next level, um. Let's talk a little spring game and just spring in general yeah. because they just wrapped up last week with their spring game. I think it'd be good just to hit on it a little bit. We do have somebody on the damn hotline as well. It is Derek Ray, one of my favorites. He is the director of recruiting operation for the Beavers. So he's just going to come on, give us his thoughts about the spring, and then just kind of talk about recruiting for Oregon State. So that's something you'll want to um, stick around for, but – uh, I will say next level, we got two running backs, so I hope this is about as good as I can do for you guys next level. We have Justin Baker, and we'll have Marshawn Buchanan, so that's uh, it's something to stick around for as well. But, Adam, let's get this started, my man. What, what news you got for us? Yeah, hey, big time, big, some big notes coming out of uh, some of the other sports on campus right now. Men's basketball wing table picked up a commit from uh, – Sean Miller Moore, he was my combo guard who visited over the weekend. Uh, we had kind of talked a little bit about him last week's episode. Um, really enjoyed his visit. We're working still to catch up on him or catch up with him to get his thoughts on, like, you know, what led up to announcing his commitment and uh, all that. But he's a, a JUCO out of Moberly Area Community College in Missouri. He's actually a native Canadian, though, out of Ontario. Uh, had a big year there at Moberly, though, this last uh, winter. Put up 19 points per game, eight boards, and three assists. Uh, really kind of fits that big athletic combo guard mold, um, you know, in some of our earlier renditions of the uh, Damn Recruiting podcast. We had talked about Tyson Jolly, who was also fit that mold. So you can definitely see they were targeting uh, big athletic combo guards, guys who could score, uh, we're also physical. Um, Miller Moore checks in at about 6'5", 200 pounds. So uh, finishes really well above the rim. He's going to be a strong addition to the program, I think. We'll have to see how he kind of fits into the rotation moving forward and how it also also will affect uh, the other members of that class of 2019 that are coming in, and Jared Lucas, Gianni Hunt, and Julian Franklin, how they kind of uh, work their way into the rotation then. Uh, moving over to baseball, um, you know, high school baseball is right in the middle of the swing of things right now. Uh, Arizona leagues are actually finishing up their regular season and transitioning over to the state tournaments. So that means 
Uh, guys like Ty Murphy and J.D. McLaughlin are wrapping up their senior seasons as they progress into the uh, that state tournament, and they're going to be really kind of starting to think about, okay, well, do I want to go to college? Do I want to pursue something in the uh, MLB draft? Where do you know, where do I fall if, if I'm picked high enough? How do I come about that decision? Uh, Kai Murphy's had a great year there at Red Mountain, though, as well. Uh, he's a left-handed pitcher. Uh, he'll be coming up to Corvallis, hopefully. Um, kind of fit in that long relief, middle relief uh, role. But he's a guy who can get it done both in the field and up on the mound. Uh, so far for his senior year, he's batting just a shade under 400. He's got 10 extra base hits. On the bump, he's 5-1 and one with 36 Ks and 27 innings pitched. Um, looking at a couple other 2019 signees in their senior season, Ben Steck, he's a catcher prospect, signee out of Jackson, Washington. Uh, another big bat. Uh, he does it really well behind the dish as well. Uh, he's hitting 390 right now for his senior campaign. Got 14 ribbies. He's kind of that big bat. He's also, uh, I don't have his exact walk numbers, but it seems like a lot of um, – his opponents are really kind of pitching around and not wanting to pitch to him. Uh, Justin Boyd is another 2019 signee out of Legend High School in Colorado. Kids just exploded this year. He's always had a big bat, uh, carried it over into his senior year. He's batting 451 right now. Uh, got two bombs, 16 ribbies, and he's also uh, a threat to steal a base on the, on the, or steal a bag on the base pass. He's got 10, 10 swipes already. Um, Perhaps the biggest name that Oregon State fans need to watch out for as the MLB draft is approaching, we've talked about him, it seems like, every week, Cooper Herpy uh, out of Woodland, California. Kid is the real deal. He is shooting up draft boards right now. Um, he's a starting, uh, starting pitcher, uh, left-handed, left-handed starting pitcher. Um, he was – we had talked about him the last few weeks – he had thrown like three no-hitters in a row, one of them being a perfect game. Uh, he actually lost his last start. I do believe he's 4-1, though, on the year with a 131 ERA. Uh, he has 77Ks and just 32 innings pitched. But he's not just getting it done on the mound. He's also doing it with his bat. He's batting 472 with six home runs and 33 ribbies on the year. So those are kind of some of the top guys in the 2019 class that we really need to keep an eye on with the MLB draft coming up. Um, there's going to be others as well. We'll be getting in touch with them as we transition from uh, our football coverage this spring over to baseball. Um, but uh, there's also some future kids who really put up impressive numbers as well, including a 2020 commit Daniel Susak and his cousin Tonko down there in Jesuit in Sacramento. Uh, their cousins. I think I said that right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I said cousins or brothers, but they're cousins. <laughs> <my bad>. uh, <laughs> uh, Daniel's a big catcher prospect as part of that 2020 class. Had a big game yesterday at the dish. He went three for four with a three-run bomb, a double, and six ribbies. And then Tonko is already a kid who's really projected high on uh, some draft boards for the class of 2021. He's already 6'3", 225. Has a fastball that touches 93. He's got a big breaking curveball and uh, mixes up his pitches with a changeup that hits about 82. So as we move forward um, from the 2019 signees to the 2020 classes and 2021, uh, the Susat cousins are definitely 
two players, two of those elite players that uh, we want to keep our eyes on as well. So that's going to kind of wrap up our baseball segment right now. There was a couple new offers coming out of uh, the spring game and kind of spring camp, but I think we should probably touch up with them as we transition over to do more talking about spring camp uh, because both of the uh, new offerees were actually on campus this last weekend. All right. Yeah. What's uh, what's the football news? What's the 411? Hey, uh, well, I mean, a couple new offers, as I was saying. We got a new quarterback offer out to Ben Gulbrinson out of Newberry Park in California. Um, he's a former Cal commit, got offers also from Arizona State and San Jose State. He's an interesting prospect in that he, last year as a junior, was his first year as a, a true starter for Newberry Park. And he really only played in five games before he suffered a knee injury. Tried to come back towards the end of the year, just wasn't quite himself. So he's kind of, he's got the talent, but I think a lot of programs are kind of taking this wait-and-see approach to him um, before they throw their hat in the rings. Mm -hmm. Oregon State got in a little early. Uh, I know Greg Biggins, who was on last week, caught up with him um, yesterday and uh, provided a good update here on Beaver Blitz as to where Goldbrinson is. He actually set up an official visit for next month, so he'll be coming up. And I know Greg put in a crystal ball prediction for Goldbrinson to Oregon State, as did I. Um, I think he definitely has moved up that list of quarterback targets that's kind of a top three right now with Goldbrinson and Jay Butterfield and C.J. Stroud right now. So it could be just kind of a, a first-come, first-serve. Whoever wants to jump on first uh, is going to have that spot for the 2020 class of Oregon State. Um, the other new offer to come out is a, to a 2021 prospect. He's a cornerback, Stephen Ortiz Jr., out of Arizona. And kind of a unique um, connection to Oregon State there in that his one of his DB uh, coaches down there at Desert Edge High School is former Oregon State wide receiver Kavon Walker. So, you know, uh, Kevin's been really pushing Oregon State to him. Uh, Ortiz is an early four-star top 150 athlete for that 2021 class, and he's already up to nine offers with a, a bevy of Pac-12 interest and national offers already in. So it'll be definitely interesting to see as he continues through the recruiting process at Oregon State and that unique relationship with uh, Coach Walker down there at Desert Edge uh, can keep Oregon State in the mix for its services. Absolutely. Adam, we appreciate the lay down. Is that, uh, is that everything for news and notes? Yeah, I think that's it for news and notes there. Then. All right. Let's, uh, let's transition, man. Let's talk a little bit of um, spring camp and just kind of about the game. So, you know, what I really, what I really liked of – or that I saw in the spring game was the fact that this QB competition, man, and I hit on this a couple of times here when I was just talking to a couple uh former beefs here at the station was, man, when, when was the last time that we legit had, and I think it's probably, it was probably Sean Manning and Cody Vaz, but that we feel confident in either, either or who's going to be the starting quarterback, right? So say it's Jake Wooten, you have Tristan Jebby as a backup. I feel very confident you know, if Jake is healthy, that we'll be okay. We'll be fine at quarterback. And if, you know, if Tristan wins the starting spot, I feel 100% confident with him being there as well, just like I do Jake. I feel like that's a good situation for Beaver fans to be in because 
as we know for a fact, injuries have been something that is that has plagued us. It sucks. It does. Whether it's running backs, receivers, quarterbacks, uh, defensive guys, regardless, we've always, and I think every team goes through this, but we have a lot of injuries, right? And it, it just happens. But, you know, Adam, I want to get your take because I know for a fact how I'm sitting right now. I think Jake, you know, he proved that he deserves to be the starter as being a guy who's been playing college football for how long now? Six years? You know, I just think he has that experience, that maturity to him, and he knows the system. He knows it inside and out, and I think he performed extremely well, not only in the spring game, but in, but in uh, spring camp regardless. So right now I'm going with Jake Luton, but I feel very confident the fact that if Tristan Jebbia needs to step in, that he can and still lead this offense. Yeah, I completely agree. I think Jake, um, you know, half of his battle has been staying healthy mm-hmm. and the other half I would say is just consistency, not yeah. necessarily his performance, but in his teachings and in the system. If you look back to when he first came into the, uh, the, the program here at Oregon state, it was under Gary Anderson. And we all know, you know, there was no direction inside that offense at that time. Yeah. I mean, they couldn't figure out what they wanted to do. Did they want to go air raid? Did they want to have a power running game with Ryan Nall? What was his role? And then, you know, he takes that hit in Colorado State and, you know, breaks his neck, essentially. And, you know, as he was coming back, trying to get healthy, coming back from out last year, you know, he rolls his ankle. He's also a little gun-shy in that he as anybody I think would be, doesn't want to take that next big hit and, you know, have to go back through everything that he just went through. So I think, um, you know, just reinstilling the confidence in uh, his abilities, his teachings, and everything that he's picking up, being that it's his sixth year now, he has that level of comfortability. And I think that's, the, I think he definitely has the, the edge right now as we move into the uh, summer off season and stuff. And I, I don't say that as a slight to Tristan Jebbia either. Like you said, uh, you're fully, you know, uh, comfortable with it being Jebbia as am I. I think they both have talents. I think they both have a, a slightly different skill set as well. Um, and I think Tristan could really use could use this extra year as a backup and kind of molding, um, you know, his, his game as well as uh, some leadership characteristics that can be built from being a, a backup quarterback and continuing to build the bonds with his receivers and stuff that are more his yeah, uh, it, peer group moving forward, I guess. Yeah, and I, I always tell people because it, it really does matter, especially being an offensive-minded guy and playing, you know, running back – it's hard to make that connection, say, with say your receivers, right? And the whole thing with offense is you just have to get your guys in a rhythm. And I think last season that Coach Smith showed that he can get these guys in a rhythm and get these guys to trust each other and do their jobs. And when they do their jobs, it results in touchdowns, big plays, everything like that. We've seen that, right? We saw that last season with the offense. But, you know, for in Tristan Jebbia's case, like I was saying, is, you know, Luton's been here for six years, or he's been playing. Excuse me, he's been playing college football for six years. That's a long time. That's a, or he's going to be for six years. That's that's a lot of experience playing college football, right? And that's just every year being developed. You know, even though he's been through some injuries, each year you play college football, you get that much better. And so, you know, he has the experience working with him, and that's something that Tristan Jebbia doesn't have yet. But it's, but Luton just has the connection with the receivers because he's been here for how how long? Three years now compared to Jebby, mm-hmm. who just got here, right? He just got here, I think it was in the fall time. So 
You yep. just have to build that chemistry. It's not a knock on Jebby at all. It's just Luton has been here. He's an experienced guy, and he's not a bad quarterback, right? And he even shut me up like I was saying, uh, you know, in my takeaways on Beaver Blitz was I really thought Jebby was going to, you know, just come in here and take the spot. And I, But I did say that, you know, competition elevates every single player, and it really did. It elevated Luton's game. I think he looked great in the spring game. I think both of them looked pretty dang good, and like I said earlier, I'm confident that whoever is playing quarterback as a starter, we at least have a we know you know we have a good backup quarterback, which is something that not every team has. So that's nice to have. But you know, stepping away from the quarterbacks for a second, Josiah Irish, man, oh my Ooh. goodness, I was not. I and when I say this, I mean 100 percent serious. I was not ready for that <laughs> at all. I mean. The kid is a freak. His ability to create separation and just have a playmaking ability in general. You know, he could stretch the field, making you know, making it hard for defensive coordinators to really prep for this Oregon State offense because, okay, what are you going to do now? We have Isaiah Hodgins, Trayvon Bradford. You have Noah Togia. Mm-hmm. You have Jamar Jefferson, AP. B.J. Baylor had a big performance. Now you add someone like Josiah Irish. Isaiah Smalls as well. Like, my goodness, man, the list can go on. These are very good offensive players. And now that we have them on the team and everyone together, healthy, if they can stay healthy, you know, I I guarantee you that a lot of defensive coordinators are going to be stressing a lot. And not to mention, you know, the the spring game is nothing but vanilla plays. Trust me, it sucks. (laughs) Because I know as a running back when they're like, all right, Marcus, we, you know, for example, we have – we have a stretch play to the right. You're like, all right, sweet. I'm going to get this warm up. Hopefully we, you know, maybe run a counter. They're like, all right, stretch play to the right again. Let's go. And I'm like, okay, we just ran that, but that's all right. They're like, all right, stretch play to the left. Like, okay, now we're opening up the playbook. Then they're going to say, all right, let's go back to the stretch play to the right. <laughs> that's just how spring games are, right? It's, it's just yeah. you want to keep everything vanilla, but you can just see the potential. Not to mention, I totally forgot about Tyjon Lindsay as well. My goodness! Yeah, you did. The list just goes on. Deep receivers, deep running backs, two ex, you know, two good quarterbacks. It's it's sitting, it's sitting well with me. And I think the offensive line I've been critical on, saying that I don't think they're great, but what I do think they can do is do just enough. And sometimes that's all you need, right? And mm-hmm. they might not have the mold of offensive line and the leadership and everything that they need right now. But like we said, that comes with time. They still have a whole summer and a whole fall camp to get ready. So that being said, yeah. I think the offense is prepped and primed to be, you know, I'm going to go ahead and, and take a shot saying I'll say top three or four in the conference. And maybe people are going to call me crazy, but you just look at all these pieces and you can't tell me I'm crazy for saying that. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's all going to start up front for them. And I, I think, you know, I think it might have been us you know, us talking off air or might've been with a couple of insiders, but this offensive line, I mean, it has the talent. I think they just are lacking a leader. You know, you have mm-hmm. uh, a Gus Lavac out there right now who really, in, in my opinion, doesn't embody that, that vocal leader. He's definitely a leader by example um, in that he's one of the most talented players on the team, but they kind of need that gel piece. I feel like, um, whether, you know, Nathan Eldridge, the Arizona transfer, is going to get in as a grad transfer this summer or not, still kind of up in the air. Um, I know Angie has some more insight into that inside the lodge at Beaver Blitz. Um, but I really feel like that's the missing piece right now. I mean, you talked about Josiah Irish, who, 
might be the closest thing to Brandon Cooks that we've had in the last five years. I mean, the kid mm-hmm. can do it all. He can work across the middle. He can go vertical. He can blow the, you know, the, the top off the defense. Um, he can lay out for a ball, uh, has the body control and the hands to make all the catches. Um, and you throw in a kid like, you know, Isaiah, Isaiah Hodgins and Tyjon Lindsay and just the diverse skill set of all the skill players in that offense. It is truly dynamic in that they can they can hurt you on the ground, they can hurt you through the air, mm-hmm. they can mix it up, they can go play action, just kind of do whatever they need to do to move the ball down the field. Um, and I think that's that's something that Beaver fans should be excited about. You know, they, they have a, not just competitive, but the potential to be a truly il- elite offense in the Pac-12 this next this next fall yeah and you know let's you know we we have to obviously talk about the struggles that the defense has had but you know and like I said again I've been critical on these guys and I will always be critical just because being a former player you sit on the couch when you're watching this game or you're watching the game from um, the press box and you're just like man what are you guys doing I know you guys know how to do this or you know just that that former athlete experience saying why why can't you guys get this I know you can get this because I know you guys but um defensively it's it's interesting I don't think that they're going to be as bad I won't say that at all and I think that when you basically bring in a defense like this it, it it's always hard because first of all defensive line we've struggled for so many seasons with the defensive line we really have we haven't had a guy mm-hmm. who is the flat-out anchor, I'm going to go make the biggest play, right? If it comes down to it, you know, who's going to make the big play on the defensive line? Honestly, I couldn't tell you. But what I did see is I saw mobility. I think that's something that they have needed it because when you look at it, when they played against a team like Arizona, someone like J.J. Taylor at running back, who's able to basically cut back any play he wanted to, our defensive line, they were just bulky. They weren't mobile. They weren't able to move at all. And so when you cut back, all you have to do is give guy one move, right? You just jump cut back, and then you have to beat one defensive lineman. And then if you can do that, you basically pick up five to six to ten yards at the bare minimum, right? That's if the corner or the receiver runs off the corner, backside linebacker doesn't do his job. But regardless, what I'm saying is that the defensive line, they looked mobile. And they still didn't get the pressure I wanted. I wanted to see someone really step out and get the pressure, but I think having someone like Jordan Whitley in the middle, Elu in the middle, who are more mobile now, they lost some weight, they slimmed down, you could tell. It's going to make the defensive the the defensive line better. But defensive backs-wise, I think we're solid. I really like that group. I think Isaiah Dunn, Jalen Moore, Omar Hicks, um, Jeffrey Manning. Now you put key at safety as well. You get David Morris, uh, David Morris back. There's some good pieces there. And I like that. Definitely. Linebacker-wise, you know, Addison Gums, um, Avery, Avery Roberts. Uh, you get these – you have some solid pieces. Andre Hughes-Murray, not to mention Hamaka Rashid, who's a, a freak, absolute monster. I'm excited <laughs> to see what he's going to do. But there's some good pieces. They just have to put it together. They just have to trust in one another. Basically find what does work. Find the, you know, find the personnel and the groups that work well together. And guys just have to pay attention to detail, and when the play has to be made, somebody has to make it, right? So say if there's a deep ball, there's two, you know, there's two DBs in the back or two DBs dropping back, and they throw, I don't know, a fade ball, basically the only thing that can't happen is what? The wide receiver can't come down with it. And I think in the past that's what we struggled with is, you know, say two guys are going after the ball, and neither of them get it. And then somehow the receiver catches the ball and they score a 70-yard touchdown. 
That's the stuff that can't happen. Mm. So someone just has to be able to make those plays. But I did see some big strides. I did see strides, but I just wanted to see maybe a little more. I just want to see at least some sort of dominance, and maybe that's asking too much right now. But I can definitely tell that there is improvement on the defense. It's maybe just not what as much as we wanted to see. Yeah, and I, I would agree with you. And I would say that, you know, um, I think the biggest thing for the defense is to continue to work their way towards being healthy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you talk about an all-pack 12 performer in David Morris as a true freshman having to miss all last year. He kind of would shore up that uh, the safety position. I know you got Key back there, but he's still kind of learning the position. He's a more natural fit back there at safety. Uh, but still, like I said, learning the, the position and the responsibilities back there. Um, I liked Jeffrey Manning moving out of the safety over to the corner uh, corner spot. I think he's he kind of gives you that that physical presence on the outside, opposed to Isaiah Dunn, who's kind of more your speedy guy who can uh, match up with the burners in the Pac-12 on the outside. I think that's that's a quality core there, and then you you move. Uh, to the linebacker spot, there's definitely depth there. And I, I really think, actually, the biggest um, part or biggest thing that the defense has uh, going for them is that they finally have some quality depth. Uh-huh. Uh, you look across the linebackers, all the linebacker spots, and they're easily too deep in, in guys that can come in and really contribute. And there's some difference makers in there in Addison Gums and Avery Roberts. And I think... The, the the sky's the limit for a kid like Omar Spates as well. Maybe don't expect too much of him as a true freshman. He'll definitely get his playing time. But by the time he's a junior, senior, you could be talking about one of the better athletes to come through on the defensive side of the ball in the last 10 years mm-hmm. in Spates. Uh, you move up front, and I think, you know, just like on the offensive side of the ball, it all starts up front on the defensive side of the ball. You talked about uh, Alu and uh, Jordan Whitley dropping a few counts, but I think getting a healthy Jeremy Reichner back where they aren't necessarily, you know, he's, he's been banged up all last year and throughout the spring. And they've really kind of brought him back at a slower pace. You know, some days he'll be uh, contact other days. He was non-contact throughout spring ball. So getting him back healthy, working him into the, the rotation, you got Lamone Williams up there. Um, Simon Sandberg was a 2019 signee who's still coming back from a ACL injury working his way back into the rotation. He's added a few pounds, uh, was suited for the spring game, but didn't participate. Then you got uh, James Rolls, who's going to be up here this summer. So I really think with those guys, that gives you that depth to be able to, um, you know, kind of cut down snap counts for those guys, uh, which I think is a key to getting a more effective Alu Aiden out on the field as well, where if you can get 20, 25, you know, maybe 30 snaps out of him a game, uh, you're going to have a, a, a fresher, more well-rested athlete than um, Alu Aiden out there trying to do, you know, play at 40, 50 snaps a game. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how they continue to develop. And I, I do think there's some, definitely some signs for encouragement for Beaver fans to think that, hey, they could be ready to take that next step up. Maybe they aren't the best, you know, making that jump up to the top or upper echelon of Pac-12 defenses. But, hey, if they can make their way into the middle ground and, you know, be able to get stops on more possessions than not, then, uh, you know, that when you combine it with that offense and the, the skills and the, the 
um, what's the word I'm looking for, the, the quick hit type offense or the, the multi-dimensional offense, you really have a, a good recipe there for finding success. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, Adam, we did get off track a little bit. <laughs> um, actually, I guess I guess not off track a little bit, but um, a question I have for you, because, you know, you, you basically went over the, you know, recruiting, everything like that. Out of all the players that, you know, came to Oregon State for the spring game and, and all the recruits, do you think that there was one in general that was the most important one? You know, I, I do. Um, first off, this this last weekend, there's almost 100 recruits on campus for the uh, spring game alone. And I really think that over the entirety of spring camp, they did a good job of bringing in not only some of their top targets, but continuing to rebuild their relationships with the Oregon high schools. They had a lot of local kids come in. They also brought in a lot of kids from across the Northwestern California as well. Um, and it was a mix not only of 2020 kids, but 2021, 2022, and really getting them on campus for that first step. We keep talking about it. Get a kid onto campus, show them what you have to offer. Don't allow them to take someone else's word on it. Let them experience it for themselves. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the kids who have come on campus here this spring, I think that that top guy, their top target is still Andy Alfieri, the uh, outside linebacker, top-rated prospect in the state of Oregon here for 2020. Uh, he's out of Jesuit, has those family relations to uh, Oregon State already, and that is his parents both were student-athletes here. His brother's on the team. His other older brother is in the recruiting office. You know, there's, there's too much going for him um, at Oregon State. There's a lot of connections they need to land. Andy Alfieri, mm-hmm. really the only school I feel like that's going to be serious competition for him is going to be Stanford. They haven't offered yet, but his brother Joey went there, and Joey, um, very similar story in that he was the top prospect in Oregon, got that Stanford offer, went down there, and now you look at him, he's going to be a potential first-round draft pick mm-hmm. tonight in the uh, NFL draft. So I, I definitely think Andy Alfieri is that, you know, that key piece, that most important piece, most important recruit who was on campus this spring, and he made multiple stops down here in Corvallis. So, um, you know, we'll have to see how it continues to play out for him in the recruiting process, but Oregon State's definitely throwing everything at him. Yeah, they can. and, I, you know, I have to say the same, just because you just have to – and. I don't even know if that would be considered building a pipeline because I don't know how many Alfieri's there are, but man, just in general, right? It, it's something that it would show. I, I think it would give the the staff confidence, if anything. And maybe I'm completely wrong, but it's just because I don't know. I don't know a ton about you know how the whole recruiting process actually goes from a coaching point of view. But you just look at that'd be a top guy that you get, and yeah, it it, it just shows you it's it's benefiting you having the guys that you have on your staff. You know, like uh, Alfieri, regardless if it's his brother or not, you have someone on, on the staff that can seal a deal. And, and think about it. Say it's Coach Petrie. Maybe Coach Petrie knows a coach who knows somebody else who, right, they'll link back to Oregon State. That's just what you want to see is the staff being able to land these kind of guys when the opportunity is ahead, you know, in front of them. And I think that's what they can do. And getting a guy like Alfieri would just really cement that, that okay, this is the right staff to get, you know, the guys that we want, we need to have this guy, and we got him. So that would, I think, that would be, you know, that would give him confidence and everything along the lines of that. 
Definitely. I think, you know, another aspect in the importance of landing Andy Alfieri is that he has an organ offer, too. Mm -hmm. And one of the top, you know, goals for this staff is to be the, the elite program in the state of Oregon. And you do that, you know, obviously by wins and losses, but also recruiting wins. You look at what they were able to do with the 2019 class and really um, bringing in so many in-state talents as part of that, they hope to continue that momentum. And if you continue to do that over, t- over time, you're going to be able to swing the state in essence, mm-hmm. hopefully, and really kind of convert kids um, into Beaver fans as they grow up. Absolutely. You know, because, you know, in Oregon, there's only a few power elite football programs, in my opinion. A lot of them, have these programs where they're very communal based or community based Mm -hmm. and you know they're very in touch with their youth football programs and they you know sherwood is a perfect example in adelaide rushman as he went through and david morris where these the elite athletes that come out of sherwood they were so in touch with their youth in their youth program that they really as they continue to grow and now are at oregon state these younger generations like Angie's son, Jack, um, look up to Adley in idolization. Mm-hmm. And I think you, you find that across the state of Oregon and that's how you really flip the fan base is you get these kids from these, you don't want to call them smaller communities, but I mean, Marcus, you're from Prineville. I'm from a small town yep. as well. You have these kids who look up to you and when they see you going to Oregon state, they're going to become an Oregon state fan mm-hmm. because of that. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that's kind of an underlying um, part of recruiting in-state talent and making it such an importance for the staff. Yeah, I mean, you're right. You you really are. Those kids, they do look up to guys, you know, who come from, like you said, that come from smaller places. But So, Angie, if you're listening, and Jack goes pro or not pro, if Jack has a couple of college offers, and Oregon State's one of them, if he chooses any other place but Oregon State, I'm going to be disappointed. <laughs> I really will, but uh, perfect. Well, Adam, let's wrap up this. Uh, yeah, so let's wrap up the spring game talk. And uh, I'm pretty excited about these running backs that we're that we might hey. have to go next level with because man, watching that film, I was like, I was like, Oregon State can get these guys. Like that's oh my goodness, <laughs> my yeah, goodness. I mean, both those kids are dynamic. Um, Marshawn Buchanan out of Atalanto. He was up for the spring game this weekend. Uh, Atalanto, so SoCal down in the uh, southern section down there in CIF. Uh, I know Greg Biggins talked about him last week. Um, I know you're going to be breaking him down. Justin Baker, um, he's out of Burry in Washington, so a Seattle suburb. He was on campus on Monday. And, uh, you know, how do you see them fitting into the Oregon State offense? Which would you possibly prefer or who might be the better fit or let's, let's just go next level. You ready? Yeah, all right, let's go next level. I'll start with Justin Baker. I mean, the biggest thing that stood out to me was the fact that how versatile he was. And I think that's, that's something that Oregon state could really use. Um, he's kind of in a way he's built in my mind, like Trayvon Bradford. Um, you know, if maybe he, he's a little more bulky, but, what the first thing that jumped out to me was, like I said, his his versatility and his speed. He can catch out of the backfield, but more importantly, you can put him really anywhere. I saw him sitting at running back. I saw him in a slot. I saw him as an outside receiver. 
And the biggest thing is when you have a running back that's that versatile that you can put all over the place, what usually happens is you get manned up with a linebacker, an outside linebacker who, you know, he's going to be he's going to be stockier, he's going to be more physical. But that being said, you know, when you're in the slot, it doesn't really matter. All you have to do is be able to break off and get separation from an outside linebacker, and that's what he did every single time they put him in the slot. And it was unbelievable to me. I thought he had he had great footwork and Basically, his ability to, once he was in open field, set up a a move, right? So the biggest thing that we like to say as you know, running backs or anyone who really carries the ball is take full advantage of somebody's soft shoulder. Hit him with a soft shoulder. So, you know, let me let me put it like this. So he catches maybe a wheel route, right? There's a safety, say it was a skinny wheel. He catches the ball towards the sideline. You have a safety beelining, right, straight to him, ready to lay him out. And he understands that all he has to do is slow down instead of trying to outrun the guy or try to, you know, hit into the guy. What he what he does in his film, he slows down and he just plants his foot and just shoots right back for his outside shoulder or his inside shoulder, excuse me, the one that's closest to him. It's called the soft shoulder. The the defender, he can't slow down fast enough. It basically you'll break a defender off every single time, making it so hard for him to tackle. It's just great footwork in open space and in open field. And Justin Baker has that. That's something that not every running back has because some guys, when they get into open field, what do you want to do? You're like, holy, you know, holy crap, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to run as fast as I can, which, you know, sometimes it works if you're that fast. But that's something that when you get to the next level, everyone's is fa- everyone's fast. So you have to be able to have an arsenal of moves. And I think he really has that when he gets into open field and – you know, he sets up his blocks perfectly. And I, you know, it was almost confusing to me if we would rather have him as a receiver or a slot receiver or a running back. I think, Adam, you would know this better than me, but the way I see him fitting in the offense is maybe a Trayvon Bradford type slot, but you can put him in the backfield as well and you're going to get great production out of him. More of like a Tyjon Lindsay, actually. I would say that. But, you know, Adam, do you do you think the staff would rather have him be a a slot does twenty four seven see him more of a uh, of a slot guy or a running back? You know, I know Oregon State likes him as a running back. I think the comparison to Tyjon is spot on as far as how they're going to utilize Tyjon here this next fall and mm-hmm. throughout his career. Um, they're going to move him around in an opportunity to just get the ball in his hands. I know he does have some offers from uh, some of the other programs um, as a slot receiver though as well mm-hmm. so it's i know his preference though is to play running back okay so perfect. uh but i mean he's he's comfortable in doing both um you know getting moved around he's got great hands so he can really play either of those yeah he could really do uh, anything that's why i really liked and that's why you know on my notes here i i circled and put exclamation points um for versatility because as a you know offensive-minded guy coach smith i think is an offensive-minded guy you could do so much with him, and I think he's just he's a deadly guy to have, and I really appreciate that about his game. Uh, but something I want to see him work on, right? And I think when you're fast and you have that ability to really um, you know, use your speed to your advantage and break free like he did almost every single play in his film was he didn't run in between the tackles a lot. And so that's something mm-hmm. that, you know, it it makes me not nervous, but I think maybe he relies too much on his speed, right? Because in college, like I said, it's not going to be like that, right? You're not going to be able to um, get past the first 
say you get past one guy, what are you going to do? You're going to sprint straight to the outside, right? And everybody mm-hmm. likes to run east and west, but you know, in college football, it comes down to running north and south. And I think that's something that mm-hmm. he is going to have to work on is just his ability to, okay, say you get past the first line of defenders, and then what's your first instinct? It's just to beeline it straight to the sideline and try to outrun them. That's not going to work in college. So uh, that's yeah. something I want to see him work on is just be able to plant his feet, get vertical. Say you get past the first line, all right, you can give a guy a jump cut or you know a spin move. Regardless of what it is, you have to get you know you have to get north and south, and that's something that the coaches I know for a fact are going to be really harping on. And after talking to Coach Petrie when I did in this off season and during the season, he stressed a lot on that, and I think we saw that because somebody like AP, he has the speed to go you know east and west and maybe outrun some guys, but. You have to be able to put your, you know, plant your foot, get vertical. You know, you want to eat up as much art as you can in in a short amount of time. That's really the name of the game. So that's something I want to see him work on. But overall, I thought, you know, I think this is a good kid to have. I think the more versatility we have, the better, because then you can keep cycling in guys who are just absolute monsters and can find ways to make those big plays. Definitely. Yes. I think, uh, uh, Baker, as he continues to put on weight, too, he'll mm-hmm. hopefully yeah. transition into more of that between the, the, the tackles type running style. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, a hey, great breakdown, man. <laughs> I, I'm just sitting here just taking it all in. Hey, uh, that's I'm, I'm honestly excited to hear what you got to say about Buchanan, too. Yes. Okay, so Buchanan. I don't know his height and, and weight, but um, I think maybe you would know, Adam, if you don't. That is completely okay. The guy, he looks a little shorter. He looks like um, maybe he's not shorter. Maybe it was just the way his film was set up. But um, first thing that stood out to me. I got, oh, you got, I got it. him actually. Com- yeah, I got 5'11", 178. So no, he's not. Really, yeah. same comparable size as Baker. I mm-hmm. think he might be a little heavier than Baker. Um, I'm just going off the list of height, weight from yeah. 24-7, which Absolutely. Um, is generally pretty spot on, but can be. You know, a little misleading at times, too. So, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Marshawn Buchanan, first thing that stood out to me, absolutely a patient runner. And that's that's something that not every kid has because sometimes when guys get the ball, you know, you don't let your blocks develop. And sometimes that's what it takes in college football is you'll get the ball and you'll be like, whoa, 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 there's no hole. And then you just have to wait that split second longer than you're used to, say, in high school, and that's what makes the blocks develop. You kind of have to feed the defenders to the linemen sometimes, and that's what not everybody does as a running back. I know at first, when I first got to college, I had a big problem with that because when you see, I mean, anyone is going to do it when you see a guy who's, you know, 6'2", 6'3", 240 pounds running as fast as he can downhill at you, you're going to be like, well, I'm just going to run away. <laughs> but then you have someone like Ricky Ortiz who comes across and bangs the guy, and then you're like, oh, there's the hole, right? That's something that... Um, it comes with time, but not every running back has that. But he does, and I really like that. Something that um, Coach Lockett, my old running back coach, had taught me is, you know, you want to be slow to and then fast through. And for people who don't understand what that means is you be patient, right? You know, as soon as you get the ball, you're patient, right? You're running right where you need to be. You need to run that track. But then as soon as you get to the hole, that's when you explode through the hole. That's why it's always slow to slow to fast through. So when you get to that hole, you explode through, and that's where you pick up your big yards. But um, another thing that I saw from his game is his ability to 
you know, understand the blocking scheme and understand who to read. And a lot of times, just when you have a zone read, um, most of the time you have a play side one, a play side two, then a backside one, right? Or whatever mm-hmm. you guys want to call it. But for example, what he does, he understands it so well that on a lot of his film, and some people will call it bad. I I honestly don't think so because, you know, if you could read play side. And if nothing's on play side, then you go backside, right? And I think that's what he understands mm-hmm. with the blocking scheme, and he does that almost every single time in his film. That's what I like is that's where it shows how patient he is because he's like, okay, I'm going to read my one, right? Say I'm reading the first man past the center. Okay, well, if he mm-hmm. if he goes away, then I can keep a play side. But if he crashes down, okay, then I'm going to back cut and read that um, backside one or backside two, whoever you have to read, right? And I think that's what he has working so well for him and – he back. I mean, he. I mean, man, he back cut all the time. But it was perfect. It, yep. it showed me that he really understood who to read. But I circled this one and put five exclamation points at the end of it. He blocks. That's something that I do not talk enough about. And I'm telling you, man, if you can get guys who are willing to block in high school, those are the guys that go next level to the NFL. Because at the end of the day, mm-hmm. it it almost doesn't even matter how good of a runner you are. Because if you can't sit back there and protect, you know, your fifty million dollar quarterback, nobody's going to sign you, and nobody's going to draft you, nobody's going to want you. But this guy, yeah. this guy will stand. I mean, he's not the biggest guy, right? Five eleven. What'd you say? One seventy five. I mean, yeah. Don't get me wrong, man. That's he's not a he's not terribly small. He'll put on some weight in college, but that's still not you know no SEC running back. But if he's no. willing to sit in sit in the pocket, right and take on a middle linebacker, an outside linebacker, a blitzing safety. We've seen that. And there's plenty of times that guys, I can tell you from personal experience, that is probably the worst feeling in the world when the line opens up and you got a two, you know, a 245, 250 linebacker running as fast as and hard as he can towards you. Sometimes you have to eat it. <laughs> and you're going to get ran over sometimes, man. Trust me, because Solomon Thomas bowled me over. But what did I do? I at least, you know, maybe maybe it should have been a flag in a hole, but I held him. I hit him. He didn't sack the quarterback. I did my job. You're going to get blown up, but as long as you don't get the quarterback hurt, you'll be fine. But he blocks. That's super big. It's super big, and I know Coach Petrie likes that too. That means he's physical, and he's willing to sacrifice his body, and he understands that that's part of his job. And even though, you know, that's not something anyone wants to do, if you can do it well, then – I mean, you're going to instantly get on the field because it's crucial for running backs to block, and I think it's something that a lot of guys are going away from with the speed backs and you know just getting the ball out quick. But he'll sit in there, and he'll eat up a blocker or a, a, a rusher, and I really like that. I think his game resembles in a way with the, his ability to read, and I didn't even mention this, his ability to keep moving through contact and keep his eyes up, his head up, and not – you know, if he's about to get hit, just put his head down and and run into a guy and then fall over. He keeps his head up. He'll run into a guy, keep his legs moving, and then if he's able to break the tackle, he can still give a guy a move because his head's up. And that's something that not every running back has as well. I, I really like this guy. I would say out of the two, it's hard for me to know which one I like more, but as a pure running back, I'll go with Buchanan. But playmaker... Oh, maybe Baker. Maybe I just set myself up to answer a hard question. I don't know, but um, I think Buchanan plays a lot like Teron Ward did. Teron Ward was a great running back with great vision. He wasn't, you know, he didn't have the speed 
as, you know, maybe a guy you would think. But, I mean, he was still fast, don't get me wrong, but I think Buchanan is faster than Teron Ward was. But they both read great. They block, you know, they were blocking great. Teron went on and played at the next level as a third down back for the Atlanta Falcons solely. Not solely, that, that sounds bad, but I know a big part of that was his ability to block. He was an absolutely phenomenal blocker, and I think Buchanan has that. I really like this guy as a player, and as a pure running back, I think he is a must-get for Oregon State. Yeah, and I mean, that really echoes kind of Greg Biggins' assessment from last week and mm-hmm. that Buchanan's one of the, the top two running backs down there in that southern section this cycle, uh, along with Chris Street, who's also a has an offer from Oregon State. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't think the Beavs can go wrong with either one of them, and it wouldn't totally shock me if they, if they had the opportunity if they took both of them. Oh, absolutely um, not. If they took both of them, uh, I don't even know – they didn't have jerseys that I could buy when I was in school <laughs> or that fans could buy, but I, you know, I would maybe buy it. <laughs> hey, yeah. I'd have a couple guys I need to get first, but, you know, I could buy it. They could sell me on that. Yeah. But uh, that's my breakdown that I have for you, Adam, and everybody. Both great backs, different play style. One's extremely versatile, and I think one is a physical, all-around uh, running back. Regardless, like you said, you can't go wrong with either or. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. But um, Adam, do you have anything else to add before we'll, we'll switch it over to the damn hotline if you don't have anything else to add? No, I think, you know, just uh, keep checking out Beaver Blitz. The Inside the Lodge, we got a great discussion. We have all the recruiting updates from, you know, the who's who's list of recruits that were on hand this last weekend. Um, we're, we're, I'm currently working on a couple of things for next week um, that – Next week's podcast that might be coming on um, a special guest or two. So we'll, we'll I'll drop the hint now. I'm not going to say who because it's going to take a little work. But stick with us and you'll find out. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Our first guest on the damn hotline is director of recruiting operations. Excuse me, my man Derek Ray. First of all, I want to say thank you so much, my man, for hopping on. I know you're probably busy. It's probably the last thing you want to do, but. We appreciate it, man. I'm sure the listeners are going to love it. Oh, come on, Marcus. For a legend <laughs> like yourself, I would get that. <laughs> man, if only. I'd love to hear that. But, uh, you know, let's just dive right into it, my man. Spring just got over. Uh, I thought that there were, some, there were some really great things on both sides of the ball, especially I would say if there's any anything that people can highlight, it's going to be either the quarterback situation or the running back situation. I mean, both of them, I think the Beavers are sitting in a great spot. But just talk about your overall thoughts, you know, offensively to begin with, how you thought the spring went and if there's anyone who really stood out to you. Yeah, you know, offensively you look at it, and I've been going into my sixth season, this is probably the deepest group of quarterbacks, obviously, that we had and probably the deepest group of skill. Um, You look at, you know, between the battle that's going on between Luton and Jebbia, you know, that's only making each of them better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jake's taking strides, and a lot of people, you know, with Jake and his situation, this is really his first full-time offseason at Oregon State with everything that he's gone through in the adversity. Um, and then Tristan's been nothing but great competition for him, and they're pushing each other and bringing them along. Um, obviously, everyone's excited about Josiah. You know, yeah. opened up eyes on his combine with his fast 40 time. I think it was a 4 2 7 something like that and he's got wheels and he'll be a pleasant surprise uh, we all know about Isaiah and Tyjon and who those guys are and obviously you still got Trey 
over yeah. there. Um, so the, the receiving core in general is really, really special. And then you look at the running backs and you're excited and, you know, oh, look at this. We forgot about tight ends and Noah's finally healthy. Yes. You know, you look at Noah, you look at Tegan having a game experience, you look at Smalls, you look at those guys and you look all the way around, you're like, okay. And not to mention as a team, you know, our strength staff's done a phenomenal job with these guys. They've changed their bodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we look leaner, we look thicker, we look closer to where we need to be. Um, and part of that is because last year when they were started lifting, you know, they're learning the techniques of new lifts. Well, now we're a year ahead. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I, yeah. I think they've made great strides. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to hit on is I thought – just the, in general, the guys, they look, you know, I, and I've been through all of that, and I thought the last uh, strength staff was great as well, but I just look at these guys, and I was just like, man, they're they're lean, they're fast, and they just look like they're ready to play like a full season, and that was probably the biggest takeaway I had from the spring game is just the offense. I was like, I was looking down the roster, and I was just like, my goodness, these guys, they have explosive players, they have, you know, they have experience. And just in general, it just looks like the offense is primed to have a, a great season. But you're right, the quarterbacks, I thought, were extremely – that whole group is deep. But at running back, receiver, tight end, you could just name off the guys. You're just like, that. that's a pretty damn good player. And so I, I know you guys are probably feeling great about that. And, you know, everyone knows that the defense struggled a little bit. But, um, D-Ray, just, just kind of talk about that because I really think defensive line has made some big strides getting a guy like Jordan Whitley, it looks like, like you said, the guys look leaner and thicker, but I would say the biggest surprise to me has been Elu. Elu really stood out to me as a guy that looked like, you know, he maybe leaned out a little bit. He looks a lot more mobile, but just talk about the defense and and kind of your thoughts on them. Yeah, you know, Elu's playing with great effort, and, you know, defensively, all of those guys were, all of those guys are a year older now, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, everyone, if if you look at our, at our roster and the way that it's set up right now, you know, I think we got somewhere in the range of 30 something sophomores possible, you know, or of our walk-ons. I mean, you look at two thirds of our roster is, has three years more left to play. Yeah. So, you know, everyone can be a little quick to judge and everything, but the reflection of who we are is not necessarily who we really are. Mm-hmm. So you look at, you given a one game experience, you look at the way I lose playing. Yes, obviously he's a senior, but you know, two fourths of our line isn't able to, practice right now yeah James Rawls is still finishing up at, down in Fullerton so our defensive line is going to look a lot different and then Simon's obviously you know recovering rehabilitating from from his deal and mm-hmm. at the junior college level so I think you know you look at our defense where you're better where you're more experienced and that's only going to help because all those guys you know for lack of a better term took to licks last year and we know where, where we have to improve and where we have to do, but now it's another year with the scheme underneath the belt. It's another year of getting better. And, you know, and not to mention the upgrades we've made at those positions. I mean, you look at, you know, Addison Gums, once he comes back to the field, what, what, what's he going to look like? How much is he going to change the outside linebacker position? You look at the way Andre's flying around and, you know, key moving to safety and all those guys moving around it. You know, we look faster on the ball and, and there's still strides to make, but we're going to be a lot a lot better on defense yeah and and, you know that's what we think and you know I always as being a former player I'm always really hard on the guys right so I know that sometimes it comes off that I'm kind of just being a hard ass but you know I just know what these players can do and you know I think that I know what this what this coaching staff can do and I really like this coaching staff I've said that you know a handful of times but 
I just in, I just like the strides that are being made. They're all there. You know, there's always improvement that has to be made, but that's with any team. You know, from the very top to the very bottom. But you know, it does look like this spring was a really successful, and we got to see some guys open up some eyes, which I thought was big. But um, D Ray, I want to get you out on this question. Being the recruiting, you know, director of recruiting operations, just talk about what kind of guys that Coach Smith, you guys, the staff is looking for? Because I think it's always a big question is, you know, with a new coaching staff or a coaching staff that comes in compared to the last staff or, you know, maybe years before, what kind of guys are you guys looking for? Yeah, most importantly, I mean, we want to recruit, you know, the best kids that Mm -hmm. fit us, right? And I think that's a lost start in today's and even, you know, in any type of job acquisition, any type of recruiting, you know, not just in football, not just in sports, but anything, whether you're looking at HR, you know, the NFL or the NBA, anything down the road, not everyone is going to fit you and you are not going to fit everyone. And that's okay. And, you know, where you get into trouble is when you wave off that line. And the thing that I think we do a great job at, and it starts with Coach Smith, is we're going to be very calculated in who we target. And with that being said, we're going to, we're going to go in and look into a kid at some all different angles. You know, obviously you want the best athlete, but you also want the highest football intelligence and character and everything and any different angle you can dig into the kid. What motivates him? Is there a chip on his shoulder? Does he feel overlooked? Is he the best? Does he want to come to Corvallis because of the lack of distractions? Does he want to come to Corvallis for the true college experience? Mm -hmm. You know, you went to school here. You know what I'm talking about there. Absolutely. You know, it's hard to, everyone can say whatever they want about, you know, this town, but a lot of people who say that about this town are people who have never been here, who have only been here for three hours. Mm -hmm. You know, it's different when you live here and able to convey that to kids. And like we talked about before, it's okay. It doesn't fit everyone. It doesn't need to. I want the kid that wants to come here. Mm -hmm. I want the kid who wants to shine here and knows what that is. You don't have to stress out because if you don't want that, they will not survive and they won't make it. I don't want the kid who wants to, you know, who who doesn't want that. I just want, it's important, I think, to understand that you want to go, you want to target calculated basically of who wants to be here and making sure that they fit within your program and what your program wants to be. Absolutely. My man, Derek Ray, he is the director of recruiting operations for the Beavers. Man, I want to thank you so much for hopping on our damn hotline. That was, we're going to have to bring you back on, man, because I could just sit here and listen to what you have to say, because I'm sure the people are tired of listening to me talk. But uh, D-Ray, my man, I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for hopping on. No problem. Take care, Marcus. Thank you. Everybody, thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of the Damn Recruiting Podcast with your host Marcus Greaves and Adam Nicholson.